Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm very excited today to bring you a repeat guest, but he's a repeat guest that we get to learn a lot more new about because he came on um, back in March, right, as kind of COVID was hitting and restaurants and really everything was starting to shut down in Omaha. So we really focused a lot on how restaurants were responding, the pivots that they were making, you know, what people could do to help restaurants back at that time. We're not doing that today. Today we are talking about food. We are talking about delicious Italian cooking. And that is from Dante. We are talking to the chef and owner, Nick Strawhecker. Nick, welcome to the show. Dan, thank you so much for having me. Yes, it is It is a pleasure. Obviously, it was a pleasure last time to get to meet you and, and get to chat. But we get to do so under much, much better circumstances yeah. today, I would say. So first, I just want to provide an introduction to Dante, which is one of my favorite restaurants in the city, and my wife wanted to let you know it is her favorite. Oh, and fabulous. Thank yes, you. she is she is hoping that this restaurant or this interview today inspires us to get Dante in the next couple of days, which nice. it very well may. We never know. But Dante is a modern take on Italian cooking. For someone who hasn't been into the restaurant, can you explain what that description means? Absolutely. So um so people think about us as as Neapolitan pizza, or at least some do. Regulars probably don't as much. So, Neap- but Neapolitan pizza is a big part of what we do, and that means, well, that's that's wood fired uh, pizza, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there we have that aspect. Everything else um, from our menu in some way usually touches the wood oven, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, wood roasted scallops or wood roasted broccoli. Um, you know, so we're wood roasted or yeah, wood roasted Italian. We work very much so with, you know, local farmers. I like to consider ourselves hyper seasonal mm-hmm. because seasons, you know, summer's a broad term, but um that's why I say hyper seasonal because, you know, one week you could have eggplant and one week uh you could have tomatoes. Right. So uh we make all our pasta in the house. Uh we are very much so a scratch kitchen. Um so from a pasta standpoint, we extrude uh, we cut, so that's, I, I consider that fresh pasta and same with, uh, and we stuff like tortellini, ravioli, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, all Italian wine lists. We are very, very deep into Italian wine, uh, do all sorts of wine events, uh, throughout the year. Um, and we just started doing brunch too. Yeah. And we are going to talk about that brunch because it is fantastic, but I want to get back to that wood fired oven Good. that you talked about. And obviously, yes, Dante is very well known for its pizza. I think what you said that you guys are known mostly as a pizza place, I think that's accurate. And you guys make excellent pizza. And I want to talk more about that. But it's not just a pizza restaurant. And I think everything does kind of center around that oven. Like you said, like you guys do bison. You do different seafood preparations in the oven. You do short ribs. And I want to give an example. I came into Dante one time and got the wood roasted chicken. I got that dish... Because it came with gnocchi, and I'm a gnocchi junkie, and I was like, if Dante's doing gnocchi, I have to try that. And then I bit into the chicken, and it was the best chicken I've ever tasted. It's not even close, like, and not fried or anything, obviously. It is just wood roasted. It was delicious. It was tender. It was juicy. Can you kind of describe what it is about that wood-fired oven that makes it special and helps it create such incredible flavors? Absolutely. So... 
it, everything starts with the ingredients, right? So that chicken, for example, is you know from Dean at Plum Creek Farm. The best. So we order on Monday. He slaughters on Tuesday. I'll just use the chicken as an example. Uh, delivers on Wednesday, right? So, I mean, it's extremely fresh and which is important, but it's also important how he raises his chickens. Um, you know, no antibiotics, uh, no chemicals, et cetera, et cetera. Just mm -hmm. beautiful free range chickens. Uh, we brine the chicken, uh, and then, you know, brine it for 24 hours. And then it, it's, we roast it from raw in the wood oven, start to finish. It takes about 20 to 20 minutes. And then we rest it for 10 minutes and then it's out the door. The wood oven, um, what makes it, you know, kind of so great is a, the heat, right? So, uh, we bake at about uh, 850 degrees, but there's different temperature zones throughout the oven. So close to, close to the fire, it's going to be obviously hotter away from it's going to be cooler. So there's different places there we, that we put different proteins, um, in the oven. Uh, so you have the, you're imparting high, high heat with flame, mm -hmm. right? So that if, if you don't have the flame, for example, you're not going to get the leopard spotting on the pizza that Neapolitan pizza is known for. Mm -hmm. Let's say it's just like a kind of a, just embers, you know, in there, it's going to be hot, but it, the, you need, you need the flame to, uh, you know, for that leopard spotting. It's also going to part impart some flavor. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to do that with pizza because the pizzas are only in for 90 seconds, but with chicken, when it's in the oven for 20 minutes, you're, you, it's going to impart some, some beautiful wood flavor. Mm -hmm. We use oak, we use, uh, yeah, right now we're using oak and we're using walnut, but we've used different fruit woods. Um, any hardwood will do in that oven. Mm -hmm. You know, and people don't know also with Neapolitan pizza that it that bakes directly on the deck of the oven. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, some people know, but like some, we'll show people around the kitchen like, whoa, the pizza goes directly on the on the deck. I'm like, yeah. Um, you know, so you're going to get some like residual ash. You're going to get some a little bit of uh, scorch in a good way. It just beautiful, like, pockets of bitterness. I love it. 100%, right? So you have the neutral from the cheese, the sweetness from the sauce, and then bitterness from, you know, from that is important for, from the wood oven. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, with the traditional oven, you set it at 400 degrees, you put something in there for, you know, you expect it to be 20 minutes or whatever, you check it periodically. This is a very different process. Like you mentioned, at different points in the oven, mm -hmm. it's hotter in certain areas. It may depend on what type of wood you're using. Like, how how do you experiment to, to like, find these different areas? Like, okay, this is where the pizza needs to go to, for its ideal state. It needs to go here for that long. This is where the short ribs should go, and they should be there for 15 minutes in this area. Like, how do you experiment with that and come up with, like, the perfect combination when you're using that oven? Well, we're, we're on, we're going on our 11th year of being open. So, you know, I, you know, I have a lot of experience and, you know, my guys have a lot of experience, uh, with this oven. not everybody. And it, it takes a lot. It, it, it's one of those deals, you know, you can, you can teach and you need to learn kind of the basics on how to use the oven. Um, I mean, obviously we have to do that, but it, it, there's a lot of trial and error that goes into it. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, it's, it's, it's almost second nature. You got to know, you know, what time of day, let's say look for, from short ribs, for example, we're, if we're going to braise short ribs, usually we're going to, a braise is first you sear the meat, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you know, braise is means, you know, it's going to, it's going to slow simmer and liquid. That's, that's what braise means. Right. Um, so usually if let's say we're going to do bison short ribs, you know, th between three and four o'clock, the oven's going to be 
um, not included at night, three, three and four o'clock, it's going to be a little bit cooler. So you can put, you're, you're able to sear, wood sear proteins at that time without it having too much heat. Mm -hmm. So maybe the oven at that time, it's usually going to be 650, maybe 700 degrees. Um, the, the hardest thing to teach is, is kind of, is heat management and when you need another log, when, wow, it's too hot. We got to slow this thing down, man, this thing is way too cool. And that's, that's what I find with, you know, guys, new guys that were kind of trained on the oven is they're typically way, way, way under heat. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking on from a pot, from, uh, from a pizza standpoint, you know, if I go it's some, you know, some newer guys using it, uh, man, get some more logs in there. We got to get some more fire in there. There's only a couple of guys that we have. And I say guys, because we, Currently, we don't have any females in the kitchen, but um, yeah, that, there's only a couple of guys that actually kind of cook pizza. The main one being Jaime Reyes, who's been with us for, I mean, literally is my second hire and he cooks 95% of the pizzas that come out of there mm -hmm. and proteins during service. Um, so it's easier to, let's say you need to roast some, you need to get a nice and short ribs. It's easier to do that than say, uh, cook pizza. Mm-hmm. That's easy to teach because you just throw in the oven and kind of watch it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Because there's constant adjustments that need to happen with the wood oven. Throw another log on, cool it down, either way, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm able to do that. Other, you know, guys have been with us for a long time, I'm able to do that, but that's that's the hardest thing to teach. This is what I absolutely love about restaurants like Dante is I feel like if you just use traditional ovens, you could probably make food that is about 80 to 85% as good as you do now. And it, and it would still be very good, and you could run a successful restaurant. But you go that extra step. And all these things that you're describing, this is really difficult between maintaining the temperature, between checking things, between, like, doing all these different things. Like, it's adding so many layers of difficulty, but it gets you that extra, whatever it is, 10, 15, 20% better that, like, takes Dante from a great restaurant to a phenomenal restaurant I, ju I just love hearing about that. I think it's it's fascinating. Thank you. I, you know, without a wood oven, I, it's not the same thing mm -hmm. at all, to your point, you know? And, I mean, I couldn't imagine working in a place without a wood oven anymore. You know, yeah. it, it's just like, no matter what, I'm always going to have a wood oven. I'm trying to put one in my house right now. But, <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah, uh, which is much smaller, obviously. Yes. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no, it's not the same thing without the wood oven. Like I said, we try to something some ingredient i like to kiss the wood oven if it's let's say we're doing a uh, a, a pasta dish with mushrooms okay well the mushrooms are going to be roasted in the wood oven mm -hmm. to to some way incorporate it in mm -hmm. now i want to talk about those pizzas a little bit because to do legit neapolitan style pizza you have to follow some very strict guidelines which dante does you guys um, meet international requirements to be considered a Neapolitan pizzeria. And in fact, you've been certified by, um, you, you like have a certification. It has a name that I have here in front of me. I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to pronounce it. It's very Italian. It looks very impressive. I'm not even going to try. Just call it VPN. VPN. Yeah. There you go. Simple as that. But like you guys have to use San Marzano tomatoes. You have to use very specific flours and mozzarella the pizza has to cook in about 90 seconds in this wood-fired oven. When you were constructing Dante and you wanted to create this Neapolitan-style pizzeria, why was it so important for you to adhere to those strict guidelines and create that specific style of pizza? When we opened, Dante was a lot different than it is today. Mm -hmm. Back then, 
I wanted to focus really just focus on uh, Neapolitan pizza mm-hmm. and Italian wine. Um, as a matter of fact, Jesse Becker put together our first uh, wine list. Jesse Becker, Master Sommelier, you know, he was at um, Boiler Room for a long time, and now he lives in Chicago. But so he and he and he argued that we should all the wine should be from uh, Campania, which you know back then it was like I didn't understand that. I was like, wow, that, that laser focused. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, and now I kind of like, man, we, maybe we, we should have done that. Now we've transformed into a different restaurant, obviously mm-hmm. you know, with everything else that we do, pasta, et cetera, that we were talking about. Um, let's see. So, so talking about pizza, why did I, why did I go that route with VPN? If you think about vino, if you think about Italian wine, um, like DOC or DOCG, that means that very, very specific, uh, guidelines with with that wine without going too much in too much you know into the paint with that right that means mm-hmm. that if, if it's if it's DOCG for example it has to have you know this percentage of grapes it has to be from this place and the government essentially certifies that mm-hmm. right it's the same thing that's what that's what VPN means the same it's the same idea um, you know I went that route because I wanted to be authentic as possible so to do that I went to uh, this restaurant in Los Angeles, which no longer exists, but um, now Suzanne Goen, if you know who that is, has a restaurant in the in the place where that was, and she's using actually the oven that I that I trained on, um, and it's actually in I have one of her latest books, and actually that oven's in the book, which is kind of cool. But um, and I worked with a gentleman called uh, Pepe Mille, who is from Naples and is uh, the liaison to the United States from VPN in Naples. Mm-hmm. And so he he trained me, and I worked with him for five days, and he, you know, lear- I, we've, we've made some adjustments to what we do since then. For example, we don't use the same oven that he uses. You know, we use a different flour. You know, they want you to use caputo. I do not like caputo flour, for, and I could go into that if you want. But, <laughs> um uh, and so he certified me back then, and that was probably 2008. Um, and then to be able to be, so I'm personally certified. And then he, to get your restaurant certified, Pepe comes out to your restaurant and then kind of works with you for an afternoon and then signs you off completely. Oh, wow. And so when Pepe came out and we're t- this was t- 2009, maybe 2010, um, he did not like so I changed the dough that he, sh- that he showed me how to do. And like I said, a different oven and a different flour. And he wasn't going to certify me because, um, because of those things. But I, but I, what I, and I anticipated that happening. So I made the dough like he showed me with Caputo. And then I made the dough that I switched it to with the flour that I now currently use. And I've used the same flour since it's called Justo's double O high performer. Mm-hmm. I'm actually the only one in the state that can use it unless you buy it directly from them. But, um, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, you know what? You're right. And as a matter of fact, we're going to certify this flower too. So Nice. Yeah, which is kind of cool. You changed the master's mind. I changed the master's mind. And yeah, so, uh, but I mean, <laughs> I remember at first I was like, oh man, he's not going to like this. Maybe I should, just, <laughs> I should just lie and show, you know, and just do the Caputo style. But um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked the fact back then it was important to me to be certified by the government. Obviously, there's many great Neapolitan places that aren't certified. Mm-hmm. You don't need to do that. I just kind of chose to do that because I thought it was just another, I don't know, another kind of cool difference in our restaurant. 
Yeah, I want to go into that style of pizza specifically because there are so many different kinds of pizza out there. When you talk about New York, you talk about Sicilian, you can talk about deep dish, whether we even want to call that pizza. But there's so many styles of pizza. What was it? And Neapolitan is my personal favorite a lot because of what you guys have done. I feel like you opened my eyes to what great Neapolitan pizza is. What was it about that style that attracted you as you're thinking about opening a pizzeria? You're like, it's got to be Neapolitan. And not even talking about the certification, but just that style specifically. What attracted you to that? Uh, a couple of different, a couple of different factors. So um, I lived in London uh, from fifth grade to eighth grade, mm-hmm. um, well, outside of London, actually. So you know, due to my my family, due to my dad's job, so we were able to. My parents were, we were able to travel extensively through through Europe, and so we're talking the early nineties. Right, so ninety one through, I don't know, early nineties, call it late eighties, early nineties. Obviously, no internet back then. You know, there just was not as much there, that there wasn't as much information out there. So to do things, you would have to open a book or to go to a place. Right, so mm-hmm. spent a lot of time in Italy and um, experienced this pizza way back then. Um, then. You know, fast forward, I went to culinary school uh, in Rhode Island, and then I, um, after a couple other stops, ended up uh, living in Italy for about a year in the Piedmont region and in Tuscany, Mm -hmm. mostly in Tuscany. And, you know, I ate that pizza constantly. I I mean, it's Neapolitan, which means of Naples, right? But that Neapolitan pizza is found all throughout Italy. It's mm-hmm. mostly that's the kind of pizza that you're going to have. I mm-hmm. mean, there, there's different styles, but it's mostly that. And I, you know, I loved it. I, and I, uh, loved it, craved it, moved back to the States, no place to get it. Um, and my career prior to Dante has always been pretty fine dining, ultra fine dining. The place I worked at in Italy was a Michelin two star. Um, and then I worked in, uh, fine dining places in Chicago and Philadelphia. My chef in Chicago, for example, you know, won the James Beard Award uh, Midwest when I was his sous chef, which was pretty sweet. So, um, and I was living in Philadelphia and there's a chef called um, Mark Vetri. Mm-hmm. You may have heard of, and he's just amazing chef. And he opened a restaurant called uh, Osteria and the chef I was working for in Philadelphia invited me to go to the opening for that restaurant. Right, so we went to the opening of that restaurant. They had Neapolitan pizzas. The first time I've had Neapolitan pizza in the United States, uh, and we're talking two thousand and seven or eight. And I was like, "Oh my god!" And I and I knew in my mind that at that time that I wanted to move back to Omaha and do something. And I was kind of I just didn't know what I wanted to do, what what direction I wanted to go. I was like, "Oh my god, we gotta! This is what we need to do. Yeah. We need to do Neapolitan pizza in Omaha. It doesn't exist." And it was the beginning of the Neapolitan pizza trend. So I. I was in front of I was in front of the trend, so just just totally went down that road because a mostly we didn't have it and I I loved it so much. I mean I was I, I more than any food, Neapolitan pizza was was my favorite at that time. I still love it. I absolutely love it. It's it's my favorite. But I like all types of pizza and yeah. I've eaten enough you know Neapolitan pizza the last two lifetimes. But <laughs> and but and, and people are like you know I don't I don't necessarily seek it out you know when I travel you know anymore. Sometimes I'll I'll do it, but. Uh, Anyway, that that was the main thing, and and then I don't know if you remember, you know, at that time, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, these type of you know restaurants just really started. 
blown up around the United States. It was always been present in New York and San Francisco and a little bit in Chicago and other pockets, but not like it is now. Not now widespread, it's, yeah. Now it's, a, now it's a mainstay. It's not a trend anymore. Mm-hmm. So I could kind of, to, to describe to people who might not be familiar with Neapolitan pizza or they haven't had, you know, the highest quality of Neapolitan pizza, I could describe what I like about it. But that would be dumb because I have the master sitting here and <laughs> you can describe it way better than I can. So what is it about Neapolitan pizza that you feel like separates it and, you know, made you fall in love with it originally? Um, so let's see. I like to I, I describe and you could describe a lot of things this way, but it's, it's easiest if you describe it like this in my mind. Ingredient, technique, equipment. Mm-hmm. Right. So from an ingredient standpoint, um, has to be fresh mozzarella, mm-hmm. right? So not like grated, you know, craft. So it has to be fresh mozzarella. Double O flour. Double O is just, it's a finer, it's a it's just a little bit finer flour, right? Um, San Marzano is, you know, it's a VPN requirement, but you, I mean, obviously you could really use any kind of tomato sauce, but for VPN, it has to be San Marzano. San Marzano means that uh, there were tomatoes that grew, um around uh, Mount Vesuvio in southern Italy, right? Mm-hmm. And it grew in this volcanic ash. Mm-hmm. So those are the main things for ingredients. Equipment, wood oven. Without a wood oven, wood-burning oven, not gas, not a dome oven with, yeah, with a little light. It has to be wood-burning. So people that, this place that say Neapolitan, <laughs> it's not Neapolitan without a wood oven. It's, yeah. it's completely different. It yeah. just is. And people will say, man, it tastes, it's, it's just not the same thing. Um, and an, another thing is VPN will say that you have to have a, uh, planetary mixer with the hook on the, on the side of the bowl and the bowl rotates. Mm-hmm. So maybe you've seen large mixers like big Hobarts and it's on the top and the, the bowl is stationary. Right. Well, VPN says that you have to have a, like I, like I described before with the bowl rotating and the hook on the side. The reason for that is to reduce some friction Interesting. and the heat on the, on the dough to kind of just keep the process going slower. Okay. Um, and then technique. So uh, the biggest thing with technique is uh, the actual dough production. So for so if we're making dough, we mix it on day one, right? And that takes about 25 minutes. Then it's, as a mass, the dough is, is, is proofed overnight, right? It's so like 75 pounds of dough sitting in a mass, uh, we use garbage bags, obviously they're clean, but so it's sitting in there. And then the next day the dough is portioned and we do 10 ounce balls, mm-hmm. right? And then it proofs again and then it's ready the night on the third day. So, and that's, you know, that's the biggest thing. You cannot rush that. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot, that's the, that's one of the beautiful things about Italian cuisine to me is how simple it may seem, but how complicated it really is. I mean, if I put a margarita pizza in front of me, it's like, man, it's, a, it's the most simple thing. And people think, wow, this is, what's, what's the big idea? Well, a lot of work went into that. A lot of pre-planning went into that. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about it. Also with technique is the actual stretching. It's, there's a specific way that you stretch the, that you stretch the pizza. Um, and then obviously with technique is being able to, you know, bake the pizza in the wood oven. Mm-hmm. One of my, I think... And I, so much of what you just said kind of plays into this. I think my favorite thing about Dante's Pizza, and you guys have wonderful sauce, which just has like, it's just got the right balance of sweet and acidity. Your toppings are all fresh and excellent. 
but just that dough itself. Like normally when you eat pizza and you get to the crust at the end, like it's disappointing. At Dante, it's like, this might be the best part because that crust itself is just, it's so airy and so light. And you mentioned earlier the leoparding, how it just has those little, just those little pockets of bitterness. I just, that dough itself, and now I can understand fully like how much goes into that, why it tastes so good is because there's so much like, effort and science behind it thank you thank you i'm glad you enjoy it um yeah i and and it's the the dough at the beginning was trial and error so when we opened like i said i used caputo flour as i was kind of as i was trained to do in la with pepe mele i just wasn't i just wasn't really liking it and i didn't really know my oven and we're talking so december january of 2009 it just wasn't working right. Mm-hmm. It just, I just didn't, I I wasn't heating it properly. I didn't, I knew something was wrong because I, I kind of went into this without ever working with a wood oven other than the short amount of training that I did in Los Angeles. So I called the people that I bought the oven from, Buyaini, and they're just, they're kind of, they're a mainstay in our community. Um, and what they do is, uh, they buy all the parts from Italy and then they, if they're an Italian American family and then they, um, they construct the oven in Northern California, North of San Francisco. So I called the people that I bought it from and they're like, listen, you got to come out here and hang out with us for a couple of days because you're doing it wrong. And so we shut down the restaurant and oh, wow. yep. And I went out and worked with them and I was, it was, I'm, they taught me simple adjustments. I was firing the oven incorrectly which is absolutely critical to fire the oven. I mean, if you don't fire right, it's it's just not going to be right. Mm-hmm. It just isn't. Like, for example, to get the oven up to temperature, let's say let's say we let's say Dante decided f- to close for a week for whatever reason. Well, COVID maybe, but <laughs> <laughs> we never actually closed down. But uh, it takes it takes five days for the oven to heat properly up again. Oh, really? It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so when and when you light the oven every single day, it needs to be done a specific way. So that was one mistake I made. And then they had me make the dough that I, you know, that I was doing for the short amount of time that we opened. And they're like, still kind of sucks. How about, <laughs> you know, how about, how about, how about we give you a couple pointers and techniques and talk about ingredient? And yeah. So I hung out with them for, I mean, I think it was three days. And I remember, I remember prior when I bought the oven, they're like, so before all this happened, we're talking, I don't know, July of be- before we opened, we opened in December. They're like, maybe you should come out and, you know, kind of hang out. I was like, well, no, I know what I'm doing. I, you know, I, I trained with Pepe and I've been cooking for however long. And I was super cocky and just dumb about the whole thing. You know, I was 30 years old and cocky. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're like, all right, all right, well, good luck. And so I went out there and it was just, it, it, it taught a couple of different lessons. A, how to do my pizza correctly. And be like, listen to the experts. Mm-hmm. If they think that you should like learn how to use a piece of equipment, just do it. You know, I mean, so never stop exploring. That's my motto and North Face's motto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, like, so we're it, not going to say who came up with that originally. Right, One uh, of you two. <laughs> North Face in the seventies, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so did that, and then at the same time, they're like, they used it as a sales opportunity. They're like, hey, we just. Uh, we got these mobile ovens that we've been kind of working on. We just designed and, you know, we're doing it for little parties. Would you be interested in taking a look? And I'm like, all right. Um, 
so they showed me this, you know, the mobile oven, which was the first one they ever made. They're like, would you like us to make one for you? And I was like, eh, well, I mean, we just spent all this money on the joint and yada, yada. But, and I never really wanted to do catering. Mm-hmm. I just didn't, for whatever reason, all catering was, I don't know, like in my formative years as a young cook, it was just, that's, I didn't want to do that. I, again, young and stupid and immature. <laughs> and, but I was like, man, this, and they showed it to me, and this is the coolest thing. And we decided to, a mobile wood oven for them it was like the second or third that they ever made. Now they've, they've made thousands since then. So yeah, that was, so it was a very, you know, impactful trip and I've been pretty tight with those guys ever since. Mm-hmm. Now that just, that, that's just something so cool. And it's something that I find inspiring. The more chefs that I talk to is even when you are so accomplished and you've worked under other great chefs, you mentioned award-winning chefs, you've worked in Michelin starred restaurants you've opened a business, you're still willing to learn. You still have that open mind where you know, I don't know everything. And you mentioned like, even back at that time, you did kind of have that attitude. And, but you still, you still went out there. You took that chance. You said, you know what? I am going to see what these guys have to say. How important is that for cooks and chefs to just always have that open mind and understand there's always something new out there. No one knows everything, and you can 100%. learn from someone else. Hundred percent. I mean, I think it's as, uh, I think it's the most important thing mm-hmm. to keep on studying. You know, uh, so I I like books. I get cookbooks, new books that interest me. I I get all the time. You know, use it for ideas. Use it just to learn. Use mm-hmm. it just. I mean. Uh, got to keep the mind going and then travel, you know, and I think we've talked about travel a little bit before, but you know, people are like, and I like to go to Italy as much as possible. So, and they're like, do you go, do you go for a specific purpose? Do you, are you seeking something, you know, Hey, I want to learn how to do X, whatever, some name, anything, I suppose. Um, And I, and I was, I mean, not necessarily like, I, I just like to go and explore and see what I find. You know what I mean? So for example, an example of that is you've had to Oh yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. So Tijele is a, um, well, it's a, it's, it's people kind of describe it as a cross between pita and an English muffin. Yes. It's a pressed, it's a pressed bread that's found in Emilia Romagna. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years ago I was in Bologna and walking through the streets of Bologna and stepped into this little joint that has tons of, you know, salumi prosciutto, different types of salumi sat down and they, you know, I ordered some different meats and then they brought out this bread and I'm like, what the heck is this? What is this? This is amazing. And, um, and then I found that I was going to different places and not every place, but I, they were serving this bread. And then I talked to my friend, Nicola Biscardo, who's from kind of that area. And he was like, oh my God, yeah, you have to do this. And he introduced me to a gentleman that makes these, these machines in that, in that area. And I, bought one as a matter of fact it's down right now my jelly press oh no I have to get a new one which yeah <laughs> they were supposed to wire they wired it's 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 had a nice run it's had two and a half years but um, anyway so my i guess my point is you never know what you're gonna find uh-huh. and where you're gonna find it and um just having an open mind and how you can apply it to your style your restaurant your everyday life that's to me that's that's what travel is Mm-hmm. And maybe it's a one-off. Maybe it's just like, man, that was just an amazing thing, and I'll just enjoy that for what it is and enjoy the memory. Yeah, yeah. Um, other times, there's there's things that you can apply. Well, that's one of the things that I think is is really cool about Dante is um, it serves very international food. 
where, you know, I think a lot of that inspiration came from that formative time that you were talking about when your family lived in London, but you did a lot of traveling throughout Europe. So like on Dante's menu, you can find oysters and mussels and frites and hand-rolled pasta and Neapolitan-style pizza. Like these aren't things that you find necessarily all over in other places in Omaha. They're, pla- they're things that you've brought here. But you also mentioned using like the really local, like hyper-seasonal ingredients where you're using things that are grown nearby so they're super fresh, they're in-season, everything. What's kind of that balance for you between using these ingredients that are from your backyard, essentially, and mixing them from cuisine from, like, across the ocean? How do you meld those two things together? Italian food um, is inherently local and hyper-seasonal. Mm-hmm. It is, and it's it's. I mean, mo- like most cuisines are. I mean, if you if you if you, you're gonna find what's within fifty miles. If you're some small town in France, Spain, and Italy is the same. And um, so, I as a in two you know as a it, the early two thousands living in Italy two thousand and one two thousand and two, um, that wasn't really happening here. Just mm-hmm. in the United States, it wasn't like guys would be, for example, hey, let's bring in this, you know, white asparagus from Belgium, which is great, whatever. But it's it's there's nothing there's nothing seasonal nor local about it. There at this place I worked at, Il Falconiere, uh, super small town in southeastern Tuscany. Every day, uh, people would come in the back door and drop off different things that were local chef chef's name is Michele and Michele I have these chanterelles Michele I have this little pig do you want it Michele guess what I have some truffles Michele I bought I just caught this sturgeon in this lake over here Mm -hmm. and that's how we built our menu so that's that trained me at that time as a 20 year old that that's what I want to do and that's what food should be like and that's what Italian food should be like so um you know I made several stops along the way uh prior to opening Dante and those restaurants didn't necessarily work that way. You know, we'd bring in like the white asparagus from Belgium, for example, I wanted to go back and kind of go to the roots of what Italian cuisine is being inherently local and hyper seasonal. Um, And it happened to be at that time that again, you know, that was the trend at the time. And now it's a, now it's a mainstay, right? Just Mm -hmm. working local is, what most, a lot of places do. Um, it's just, it's important to me f- for a number of reasons. A it's, it tastes better. Yeah. I like, I like, there's nothing worse than eating a tomato in January in Nebraska. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm just not going to do no, it. No, it's true. I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, like no tomato sauce is different cause it's canned, whatever. But like it, it's, and it's, it's also, it's, it, it's boring to do the same thing all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, we have a squash soup on the on the menu we've had for 10 years. It's squash and apple and apple cider. And, you know, we've, I don't know, I've made it a thousand times. Mm-hmm. And it's always exciting. And this is just an example. There's many different dishes. But, like, we started doing it last week. And it's exciting to do it for the first time. Wow, it's butternut squash season. Great. Apples are in. Oh, wow, we got the cider from, you know, these people. And this. I'll tell you by, you know, in a couple weeks, if not, I'm sick of it. Like it's gonna I, <laughs> over it, ready to move on. You know what I mean? And it's the same. It's just the same. I could. I, there's 
vegetables that I, you know, tomato. I, I'll never get sick of tomatoes. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. Like, I just love tomatoes. Just not in January. Just not, not in, in January. Just not in January <laughs> in Nebraska. Like, so it's, it's, it's because it's better. It tastes better. We keep our dollars local. Mm-hmm. And it's more fun and exciting for me, for my cooks, and for my guests. Mm-hmm. Now, I promised that I was going to bring up brunch again, and I think this is the perfect opportunity mm, yeah. to do so because you're talking about it, having excitement with the menu and not just doing the same thing over and over again. Oh, let's see the timeline here. Probably, I would say, a month and a half, two months ago, Dante started offering brunch. Yeah. Um, so this would be you know fall of 2020. You guys operated for... 10 or 11 years without brunch. And all of a sudden there's this whole new menu that you get to create and play with. Just kind of where did the idea to start doing brunch come from and how fun was that for you to take all these kind of Italian techniques and ideas that you have and incorporate them into a brunch menu? Okay. Um, couple different facets here so number one i never wanted to do brunch ever <laughs> i feel like most chefs say that because i mean just because getting up early one thing but mainly when you have only two meal periods you know like saturday and sunday and trying to plan for that where you it, it gets difficult wow we have too much sausage gravy mm-hmm. or whatever we have too much of this what do you do with it how do you apply it to the rest of your men the rest of your menu. Yeah. So we designed our menu as such where we're able to apply it to lunch or other dishes. There's so, you know, there's nothing worse than waste for a number of reasons, obviously. So number two, we did brunch at Forno, which, you know, we've now closed and brunch at Forno was successful. It was, it was, it it did really, it did really well there. Um, The other, so there was, there was that, was the main thing in my mind other and also the main thing in my mind is you know life the restaurant life in a time of covid is if you're not a hustler you're dead Mm -hmm. right so it's like in it's we've been fortunate compared to a lot of different places i mean obviously i closed a restaurant during this time Mm -hmm. which it is what it is it sucks but it's like but we still have dante so how do you keep on how do you revenue 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 you gotta you gotta keep it going. We have this we have this empty restaurant. We might as well do it. And people in West Omaha want it. The other problem, and and I'll tell you, a problem was was staffing. You know, um, so we've been fortunate enough to be we're fully staffed, and even even to a standpoint overstaffed. So I had to figure out how to make you know to pay my people, and so open, having another meal period is able to just extend hours for my guys to be able to pay guys more. The main thing, however, after all that is Drew Stats. Drew, so Drew Stats uh, was running, he was the executive chef of Monarch for a couple years. And they closed it at the beginning of COVID, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Drew reached out to me. Hey, um, do you got something for me? I was like, yeah, line cook. I'll take anything. Great. Drew comes, comes on, joins us, just mesh extremely well. Very talented. Um, and then Drew has an opportunity to run, uh, open a place, essentially an Italian place in Fremont. And he, and I knew that going in, yeah, my blessing, good luck, yada, yada. That didn't work out for him. Gives me a call the day that he's walking away from that place. Hey, uh, you got something for me? Hey, want to do brunch? <laughs> want to run, run, want to run brunch for me? So in a week, it, you know, I was, it, I, Pretty much just pushed it over to Drew. He put this menu together. I had my two cents on a few things I wanted to do. 
And so I hired him on Saturday. We designed the menu on that, that same day. Um, you know, kind of got everything in place that we need to do, yada, 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 open brunch the next Saturday, and that was it. Wow. Yeah. It came together that fast. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Uh, it was it, it was super exciting. I, I just like those. It, it's, it was exciting without the stress of, like, um, holy cow, this place could fail or not. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? <laughs> yeah. You're starting with a stable base. You're starting with a stable base. The infrastructure is all there. You don't have to, there's not a huge investment. I would say it's like 5% of opening a restaurant or 10% mm-hmm. because we had to do, you know, it was different scheduling, obviously the menu and then the beverage menu. And it's a different type, you know, brunch is just a different type of service. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just different. Um, so yeah, it's gone, it's gone great. Every, every week increases by 5%. So nice. it's getting there. Good. So I want to give the listeners right now a couple examples of things they can expect uh, from Dante's Brunch. If you haven't gone and gotten it yet, that's something that you should do. You can get, you mentioned the Tegel earlier. You can get an Eggs Benedict on top of Tegel. You can get a braised chicken hash. You can get a croque madame uh, sandwich. You can get smoked salmon or a buffalo ribeye, which is kind of a play on steak and eggs, as well as breakfast pizzas. So there's lots of different options. So, And one thing that you didn't mention. The donut holes. Well, that's that's been selling like a champion, but those um, are delicious. But the omelet with ricotta and, and truffle. Oh, okay. Is it on there? It, oh, of course, yeah. That's it's my, it's that's, on the menu. So but. Drew's like, we have to do this, and I was like, oh, ricotta and an omelet. What do you? And he made it, and it was like, oh, it was, it was absolutely amazing. It's it's the best omelet I ever had. I love it. Really? Oh yeah. See that that is like your reaction that you just said is probably what I would have said if someone came to me and suggested that because like ricotta i like ricotta i don't know it's fine but yeah i would never be like oh a ricotta omelet but now that you say that it's amazing oh okay okay the ricotta herbs ricotta black truffle and then like just a beautiful french style omelet oh that sounds delicious yeah so okay but that plays into where i kind of wanted to take this question is when drew brings this menu to you what does that kind of massaging process look like did you just kind of look at a bunch of things and be, you know, look at what he had laid out and you're like, okay, you know, minor tweaks, but this looks pretty good. Or was there some back and forth? Did you guys do a bunch of experimenting in the kitchen? Just kind of, what did that process look like of kind of ironing out his first draft to here's the brunch menu. Let's open this thing up. There were probably 20 and you know, Drew's ran, he ran brunch at Monarch for two years. So he has, he knows what he's doing. He knows, like brunch. I, I I have limited brunch experience. I just do other than Forno, which I mostly didn't run. I was there a little bit, and I it was my menu, uh, along with Dallas Bruner. But you know, I I just didn't. So he he knew he knows what sells. He knows what people likes. He knows how to do it. You know, uh, you got to do it quick too. You know, brunch people don't just wait around. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there was probably thirty ideas on a on a between him and me. And we went through each one. Okay, let's try this. Oh, I don't really understand uh, what your idea is with this, Drew. Let's bust it out and taste it. And it was trial and error. And I think we, so I think our ideas were Saturday. um, And we worked on Sunday. And then we started cooking on Tuesday, Wednesday. No, we didn't. We started, yeah, we started tweaking on Tuesday, Wednesday. We did photos on Thursday, Friday, so that we had stuff for, like, emails and social media, et cetera, mm-hmm. and, then, and then did it on Saturday. So, yeah, we went from 25 to 30 down to, what is it, 9? or It's between 9 and 12 now. Mm-hmm. And we're still, you know, things aren't selling the way we thought it would, and that's just natural. You know, that's just the way it is. Um, we made some adjustments. You know, 
we put uh, French toast is on the menu. It's the most basic French toast you've ever had, and it's amazing. I love it. It's made on brioche or with brioche. It is. It's Rotella brioche. Mm -hmm. And, you know, don't, like, Rotella, you know, people are like, oh, no, it's, Rotellas know what they're doing. Like, that burger <laughs> contest, that was a that was a Rotella, like, slider bun. Oh, I yeah. I remember that. At the burger fight at Block 16, yes. Yeah. That's delicious. I like Rotella. I mean, we don't use it for dinner. We make our own bread or whatever. But, like, uh, but, oh, man, it's killer for, uh, for the French toast. The ribeye, uh, so, and that's another, another Drew thing. So, Drew introduced, okay, so, last year, a friend of mine went to Texas and shot a, uh, buffalo with a crossbow. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a good lead into a story. You want to catch people's attention. You start off with that sentence right there. Buffalo are really, really dumb. And he walked up to it like seriously, he took <laughs> 10 feet away and just, you know, and they're beautiful. I'm a hunter and, and I love animals and everything, but like they just sat there and he just <laughs> shot it with one, with one thing. Right. So uh -huh. then he's like, so he tells me this and he's like, Hey, you want some short ribs? I was like, I don't know. I'm not really a big, you know, Buffalo fan. He's like, no, take them, try it. Uh -huh. And I was like, and I, well, which is, a, 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 again, this is stupid because at the, cause I was like, well, I, I hadn't had Buffalo in years. So I didn't know what I was talking about. I take these, I take these short ribs. I braise them. I was like, this is like some of the best protein I've ever, ever had. Really? Amazing. Wow. Love it. Love it. I'm so hot on bison right now. Uh -huh. So then I'm talking to Drew about it. And he's like, well, yeah, I got, he's like, I have this source, central Nebraska Buffalo and they're near York. They're like North of York. Uh-huh. Kendra Hudson. And is the, it's her family farm. They've been doing it since 65. And he's like, Maybe, what, if we, what if we get a bison steak on this thing? I was like, ah, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. But actually, I didn't. Then I was like, then I told him my bison story, yada, yada. So we've had bison on the menu ever since. And uh -huh. it's delicious. Absolutely amazing. The thing with bison, it's a little expensive. Yeah. It's just, it's hard to raise and yada, yada. So, yes, I love having that on there. It's not going to be on this week, however, because we ran out. But we'll have it on next week. Okay. So something I want to get into a little bit, and, and you touched on this uh, slightly, but you mentioned that brunch is kind of a different animal than, you know, traditional service. What what makes you say that? What What's so different about it for someone who has not worked in either of those environments? Okay, so uh, you're not going to do brunch. There's typically not going to be a first course. Mm -hmm. um, unless you get the donut holes, which people donut, should. Unless you get the donut holes, which they should. They're delicious. The budino, yeah, it's fried dough and budino. It's just stupid. Good. Heart healthy. <laughs> Very. Yeah. No, it's only 150 calories. Uh, so you don't have that extra time to like, you, you, you there's no, you got to, when the order comes in, you got to bust out quick. Mm -hmm. Everything's got to be pretty fast because people are hungry. Maybe they're hungover. Mm -hmm. You know, people don't want to sit there. A lot of times though, people want to come in and drink a lot. So that's, which is really good from a revenue standpoint in the restaurant business is the booze sales that you're going to get. Mm -hmm. It's also a lower food cost, which is, which is, which is good mm -hmm. for me. Um, you know, I'll tell you coffee, for example. So like when I'm with coffee for me, like I just, I want, you know, like in reservoir dogs, I never want that. I never want my coffee cup, like not full. Uh -huh. So keeping the, like keeping the service, Hey, make sure you get more coffee, more coffee. Everybody's different with their eggs. So like it's like pizza like everybody grew up with their eggs a specific way. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same with pizza. It's just like it's everybody knows how they think pizza should be. There's an example in the past year. Okay, maybe the past two years. You know, we do that carbonara dish with the fried egg on it. Mm -hmm. It's my wife's favorite. She so, loves it. So I like a fried eggs a little bit 
kind of crusty on the side, like a little overdone on the side. A little texture, yeah. I like the texture. Uh-huh. So I remember this vividly. There's table 72, and this guy's like cursing at the server how this egg like sucked. And he's like, what is So I go out there, and I'm like, and I never, this is the only time this has ever happened, maybe twice. And I was like, you can't like yell at my server because the egg is not cooked to how you want it. If you want it cooked that way, I can't remember specifically said it was hilarious. Anyway, so, but, <laughs> but like, so egg, it, it's just, you got to be able to, everybody's a little bit different with how they like their breakfast. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's just a different animal. It's ended up being, it's, it's been great so far. Um, I guess, yeah, those are the main, those are the main things. Um, you know, not doing espresso at brunch is a big one. Mm-hmm. It just slows you down. Mm-hmm. Especially, we only have a, like a one head espresso machine. So it's like making those decisions quickly. The first day we did it, like we were making, like we had Paul Foss, our, he's like making cappuccinos, like nonstop. He's like, we cannot do espresso cappuccino anymore. Okay. I mean, it's just little things that you learn. Mm-hmm. Do you have ketchup? Do you not have ketchup? Yeah. It's all a trial and error process. Totally. Yeah. You just got to learn. So we've gone about 45 minutes into this episode and somehow we've Barely even reference pasta, which I I love pasta. It is my single favorite food. Me too. I, I'd like I used to come into to Dante and get pizza every time. Now I can't not get pasta because the pasta is so delicious. And like as great as you guys' sauces and toppings are, like I feel like if you just gave me a bowl of those noodles and you were like, here you go, I'd I'd say thank you. And I would pay you a lot of money for it because the noodles themselves are just so delicious. Where did you develop your passion for pasta, and how did you kind of incorporate that into the Dante atmosphere? I should start with Dave Smirk, our chef de cuisine, makes 100% of our pasta. Mm-hmm. So whether it's, you know, he, he runs the extruder machine, whether it's fresh pasta, all of it. He folds all of it, arguably the best pasta guy in, in the state, I mean, mm-hmm. and arguably makes more than anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just crazy the amount of we go through a lot of pasta. Where did my passion come from? I mean, growing up, um, and in my family, would say, so we growing up. My mom, you know, my mom's Italian American. I'm Italian American. Um, we had pasta all the time as a kid, mm-hmm. and there's one specific dish that we grew up with, which we call hot pasta, which is spaghetti, olive oil, parsley, crushed red pepper. And garlic in Italian, it's aliolio, which means garlic and oil, mm-hmm. and that's like our go to family period pasta dish. Even and same with like my wife, even you know, my wife's not Italian. I mean, it's like it's everybody's favorite pasta dish, no matter what. I always have ingredients at my house for aliolio, so it's dishes like that when you know you're a child and you grow up and you eat, you grew up with a simple yet hard dish to make like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of, it, 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 it's, it's, it's going to grow. It's going to grow. Man, I like this dish. Okay, let's try this pasta dish this way. Let's try this. Let's try that. Through exploration, through cooking, through just, just messing around. Uh, the thing, the funny thing about aliolio is, so if you're in Italy and you order aliolio, um, <laughs> if they, if you ask for cheese, they'll like slap you in the face. <laughs> like they're, comp- they're complete, it's crazy like what you can and cannot do. If in certain areas, and they'll just get pissed off. It is far superior with with Grana Padano, Reggiano, Parmesan, whatever you want to call it. Like it's far superior. Yeah. I don't know why they don't eat it with that. It doesn't make any sense, to me, <laughs> but it's far superior. Like there's many times, like, I, and that you know, I was like, I'm gonna do aliolio, and and that's 
and then I asked for cheese, and they're like, you idiot, you stupid American, <laughs> you do not, it's like ordering a cappuccino afternoon, like they, you're just a complete clown if you, if you do these certain things, uh-huh. but God bless them, uh, that's why we have these things, so I, I, my mom, you do, do, my mom, and uh, cooking, and my grandmother, too, I can think of, like, these, she made this very simple tomato sauce with these shells, and I cannot, for a very specific holiday, and I, it was the day before Thanksgiving, we'd go over to the house, and she'd always have this, and it's, it's these memories of, uh, of comfort, and just absolute, uh, I love it. I wish it wasn't so bad for you, though. We're just going to pretend it's not bad for you. You the, know what the, I mean? Like, this is 2020. We've got enough bad things going on. We're going to focus on how something tastes and not what it does to your body. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I, I, made lasagna, I made lasagna at home actually on Monday. Like, And my pasta crank wasn't mm-hmm. working. I, was, I made fresh. So I was like, so I, I, I pinned it out with, my, with a rolling pin. Nice. Which is pretty sweet. I actually made, it was bison ragu with the lasagna. You can't just... Be saying these things on the podcast here when I can't have bison ragu lasagna like presented to me right now. Maybe, I'm just. Maybe we should do lasagna at the restaurant tonight. Maybe we should put it on the menu. Because Thursdays we like to put lasagna on the menu. Yes. Cold out. Maybe we'll do it tonight. Maybe we'll start it tonight. I love lasagna so much. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that sounds delicious. So, something that I loved about like you kind of like got transported when you were talking about pasta there, which is like something that I just, I do, I do think that it's like, it's so rooted in, it's just like so homey. It makes you, it just like automatically like conjures up memories or something about it. But you also mentioned several times, just simplicity in that it's not a bunch. It's not fancy. It's not, you know, all these different kinds of crazy techniques and stuff. Pasta is often at its best. And this doesn't mean it's easy to make by any means, but when it's kept simple and it's not totally dressed up, it's not drowning in sauce or anything, but it's just you let the pasta sing for itself. What is it about like that dish? That It's so unique in that way in that it's best when you mess with it less, right? I couldn't agree more. Um, I couldn't agree more. Uh, the thing with that dish, so – you get you get a little bit of spice. You get the and the spice and the parsley meld so well together. You get some saltiness from the cheese. You get the texture for I, I'm all about super al dente. My wife likes her pasta, uh, her dry pasta cooked more than I do, a mm-hmm. lot more than I do, which is <laughs> a little point of contention. <laughs> <laughs> and she doesn't like parsley really, but she lets me put it in like in this in ali olio, for example. All right. So another example from a very simple dish is um yeah, I'm getting kind of hungry too. Uh, <laughs> this is the problem. We're recording this like right before noon, so we both probably came in hungry because it's right before lunch, and now we're talking about pasta, so it's just like doubly bad. Hundred percent. We just added this dish this week because we're getting into truffle season, uh-huh. and we're doing actually a truffle dinner in two weeks. Okay. Um, I'll come back to that in a second. But so we've been bringing in truffles for just mess around, you know, just get ready for this thing. So we brought in some black, some burgundy truffles on Tuesday and did a dish with, um, so, and this happened to be, you could do this with any pasta, but we did, I, I, we did it with lumake. Lumake is an extruded pasta. It's like rigatoni, but it curves. Lumake means snail in Italian. And then with fontina fonduta. So basically a, you take a, a yolks and fontina and reduce cream and mix it together. So it's a, it's a fontina cheese sauce. Mm-hmm. And then toss the lumake with with that and tons of grana padano, mm. and then just shave black truffles on top. Mm. I mean, come on, s- simple but like 
truffles and cheese just love each other and truffles cheese and pasta i mean it's like a it's a they really love each other mm-hmm. <laughs> uh yeah so i don't know i i don't know man like the italians gotta figure it out but like if you think about it <laughs> i mean they really do but i mean look at ramen same yeah. idea i mean it's ramen's pasta mm-hmm. i love ramen a lot i love delicious ramen just do delicious broth and you know pasta pho mm-hmm. i mean all these cultures figured out you know Noodles. That's basically that's the lesson that we need to learn here. Noodles are awesome. They should be incorporated into everything. That's what I mean. Pasta. Okay, does it last meal? Definitely some sort of some sort of pasta for me. Hundred percent. I think if I were constructing my last meal, one of the things I'm not saying that this would be in it necessarily, but one of the things that I would definitely consider is your rigatoni bolognese, which oh, yeah. is just. So delicious. Now, obviously, I'm not asking you to like break down the recipe and give me the trade secrets or anything, but you can you just like give me the cliff notes on why that dish is so perfect? So that's an example of a dish that's pretty much been on since we opened. Um, and it really hasn't changed, I don't know, in seven or eight years. It shouldn't change. It it's is, perfect as is. You know, thank you. Thank you. There's five different proteins. There's tons of red wine, mm-hmm. minimal tomato, but tomato is important. Mm-hmm. So some places, you know, Bolognese is of Bologna, right? So Bologna is a city in Emilia Romagna, mm-hmm. so which is really the mecca of cuisine in my opinion. That region, Lamborghini, Ferrari, Grana Padano, Balsamico, Tortellini, and Brodo. All these dishes come from that region, mm-hmm. including Bolognese. So it's the braising of the proteins. It's, in my opinion, a little bit of tomato. It is a ton of wine. Um, It is the proper amount of cheese, butter, vinegar. And then really apply any pasta. Mm -hmm. Traditional, you know, tagliatelle. People like with gnocchi too. I like gnocchi, but the problem with gnocchi is it can't, you're not going to get as much texture with it. Yeah. You know, so what we typically do with rigatoni Mm -hmm. every once in a while. But it's this exact same ragu as as in our lasagna. Ah, okay. So it's always like funny sometimes like people like on Thursday we'll have lasagna and we'll have the regular bolo on and people will be like somebody will order lasagna and then bolognese at the same table like rigatoni bolognese which I think is kind of cool. It's like the <laughs> same thing but just different. And they don't even know it. But they probably yeah, they probably don't. They probably <laughs> or they do. It didn't occur to them. Yeah, but then the lasagna you had the bechamel so you had that you know this the the cream, the richness and balance. Mhm. Now we're winding down here. We're we're uh, running low on time, but you just mentioned um, that truffle dinner. You said you wanted to come back to it, so I want to roll out the red carpet here and allow you to kind of talk about that. Maybe tease some taste buds and get some people interested in this thing. What what, what are we talking about? We're bringing in uh, several thousand dollars, which sounds pretentious or whatever, <laughs> of of truffles. It's but it, it, truffles are. Ex- they're just extremely expensive. Why is that? Well, because they're rare. Mm-hmm. And there's only a certain, you know, there's a certain window when you're going to be able to acquire said truffles. Also, fresh truffle, it's a, it's a short shelf life. So they need to be, you need, they need to be harvested and then they need to get them to you very quickly mm-hmm. from Italy and other places in Europe. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know if I said nothing else in the world smells or tastes like them. So mm-hmm. that's what makes them so just amazingly beautiful. We're going to do on, let's see, 
Thursday the 19th of November, five fresh truffle courses. There's going to be white and there's going to be uh, black burgundy on each course, including dessert, four savory, one sweet. And then uh, paired with Barolo, we'll have three 2016 Barolos. 2016 was like the best year for Barolo in like two generations. Mm -hmm. And then a couple different, a couple other wines flanking that, both sparkling. Um, it is expensive, but it's it's two hundred dollars a guest, not including tax and grat. But if it was any other year, it'd be more like two seventy five. And the reason it's cheaper is because Europe closed down essentially. Yeah. So they have this all these extra truffles, so they're able to lower the price of the truffles. So I, I'm able to lower the price for for everybody. So if you want to experience truffles in their best form, this is the time to do it. This is this is the time to do it, and so we let's see. We released this yesterday or the day before via mm -hmm. social media and email, and we booked fifty guests and like, I mean, six hours. Oh my gosh! So last time we did it, we did a straight up truffle dinner. It wasn't we couldn't get any last year. It was a weird year. It was too dry. I think it was the year before, and we did like forty guests total. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So, and we're, I mean, if it keeps on growing, we're thinking about adding another day and do it Wednesday and Thursday. There was one other thing. Oh, yeah. And we've had several guests ask, hey, I don't drink. Can I, can I come and, can I come and would it be a lower price? Absolutely. Uh, if you don't drink, it's $135. So, without the vino. Um, we just also, so I'm, I'm super excited about that. It's just, it's so fun having truffles and, you know, luxury ingredients that, you know, at Dante, we just don't we just don't do very often. Bringing a bunch of foie gras, bringing in some live scallops, um, a couple other couple other surprises, oh and the, the the menus on social media. Goodness, that sounds delicious. You should do it. You should come. Don't tempt me. <laughs> I spend too much money on food already. My wife is gonna come after me. <laughs> I, I'm thinking about having a contest uh, to win uh, to win tickets to the thing. Okay. So, in 2001, I went to the, the Alba truffle auction, which is this, Alba's, you know, in Piedmont, and there's truffles, truffles all around there, and I, um, I had a funny thing happen to me that I may or may not have caused, so I don't want to give too much away, because it might be part of the question, but let's just, the most expensive truffle ever at that time was purchased at that auction, and I handled that truffle. And um, I broke it in half on accident. <laughs> and a very, very, very famous chef purchased that truffle. Um, and I put and I was kind of like backstage in the auction. My buddy was taking my photo with it. And it uh -huh. broke in half. And I just put it down and kind of, and I left, jumped in a taxi and went back to, yeah. But I'm not going to tell you any more details because I think, because I'm, and have a question on social media where people can like win two tickets. To right. And thing. we want everyone to have a fair chance. So yeah. just when we get off the mics and people aren't listening to this anymore, you can spoil it and give me the answer so I can come. Got it. <laughs> anyway, people get in that contest on social media, sign up for the truffle dinner or just go to Dante anytime. Yeah. We, we, we've talked about brunch. We talked about pasta. We talked about pizza. You can go whenever and you're going to get an excellent meal. Like, yes, these special occasions and these special dinners are awesome, but you can get a fantastic meal at Dante really whenever you want to. And I think it's like, honestly, I'm not just trying to kiss up here, but it is a truly special Omaha restaurant. I think it's something that everyone needs to experience. And Nick, I just, I appreciate 
not only the time that you've given me today to come in and talk about it, but also just all your years of hard work and, and making it through this pandemic and everything. We, I think as an Omaha community, I just want to say thank you for that. Oh, thank you, Dan. Yes, of course. Appreciate you so much and what you're doing. The fact that we don't have, you know, we don't, there's not really a voice from the World Herald anymore. You know, you know, obviously Sarah's not doing anymore the World Herald, which is horrible. You know, she's doing her own thing now, which is, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And you and just a small handful of others that have a voice that talk about food in this community is so important. So thank you and keep it up. It's my pleasure. Let's keep it going. All right. As always, Omaha, thanks for eating with us. <laughs>